0: Turn to 1 Kings 19, be our passage this morning, First Kings chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 16, once you've found it, if you will please rise for the reading of scripture this morning. And the text says, when Elijah heard it, that is this, this gentle whisper coming from God, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, he went out and he stood At the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they killed your prophets with a sword. I'm the only one who's left. And they're seeking my life too, to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you will anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel Morhalah, as prophets in your place. The word of God to the people of God. Thank you. Thank you, God. It is 2019. Mm-hmm. We are eagerly expecting good things from the Lord this year, are we not? Yes. It is the beginning of a new year, a time in which we come before our God, seeking, thinking, contemplating what He has in store for us. Amen. Amen. It is 2019. Is anyone looking for a year of breakthroughs this year? It is 2019. Is anyone looking for a year of new hope this year? 2019. Is anyone looking for a year of deliverance this year, a year of strength this year, a year of blessings this year? It is the new year, my friends. What are we looking for this year? It's 2019. What calling does God have in store for us this year? We all know God has a calling for us, right? Yeah. We all know that God has a mission out there for us, right? Yeah. Yes, it's 2019. What mission has God called us to this year? So we have been thinking about that these last few weeks. You know what I find interesting? Sometimes when I think about what mission does God have me on, what mission has God called me to in this world, mm-hmm. that the strange thing, I don't know why I do this, I, I tend to think about it very individualistically. What mission has God called me to? wonder how things would look if I considered what mission has God called us to? What mission has God called us to? One fellowship this year. As a community. Turn and tell someone, we're on mission. We're on mission. Turn and tell someone else, we're on, we're on mission. When they see challenges, we see opportunities. Why? Because we are on mission. When they see problems, we will see possibilities Because we are on Amen. It does not matter if we are passing through the fire or the flames We will not be deterred because we are what? Amen, Amen. Amen. You see my friends, the, the interesting thing though Is sometimes when we have this sense of walking on mission with God but We have these popular conceptions of what that looks like The idea that God has somehow given us the answers That we are going to bring out to a hurting world Sometimes when we think about ourselves walking On mission with God. We think about ourselves as walking in confidence with God. We are confident in the calling that God has called us to. But what we find in this passage today is that that's not always the case. You can still be on mission even if you're not confident. You can still be on mission even if you're not sure. You can still be on mission. Turn and tell someone, we're on mission. We're on mission. See, my friends, throughout this year, I've been thinking about the prophet Elijah. I preached on the first part of 1 Kings 19. It was actually my first sermon here about a year ago. It was February of 2018. And and all that time, I haven't come back and preached on Elijah, but all that time I've been thinking about it. And one of the reasons why Elijah stands out to me uh, is, is so striking is that we see him when he's on the mountaintop and we see him when he's in the valley. And here's the thing, sometimes when we talk about the prophets, sometimes we like to talk about the prophets when they're on the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the prophets, we like to talk about them in times when they look confident. In times when they are these towering pillars of the faith. They're the examples we want to live up to. It's like these snapshots of the highlights of their moments. But the truth is that so much happens in the lives of the prophets in between those mountaintop experiences. It's like it's like when you're flipping through a photo album, family photo album. Do people still use photo albums these days? Yeah. We, we still have photo albums, right? I don't know. I mean, they say everything's going online and, like, I know we have these social medias and stuff and Facebooks and Instagrams. I don't know. But we, we still have photo albums, right? Okay, just want to be sure. I mean, we've got scrapbooks, so someone has to keep them in business, right? Okay, so we still have photo albums. Look, for you young people, Okay? When, when you go to Grandma's house, they have these books with pictures with people's faces. It's the original Facebook. Okay? It's like when we look at the photo albums, and we see people smiling. Right? You see Mom and Dad smiling. You see Grandma and Grandpa smiling. And you flip through these pages, and man, these, these people's lives, they look so happy. But you look at the dates, and you realize, well, man, they're, they're smiling there on, on Grandma and Grandpa's anniversary, and, and they're smiling here six months later at Christmas. But the truth is that a lot happens in those six months between those smiles, doesn't it? Yes. And it's not all smiles in between those snapshots. We can walk through a lot of valleys in that time. There are a lot of tears shed, a lot of frustrations. And if we just look through that picture book, you know, it, it can look like they, they were so happy all the time we could miss the things that happened in between those mountaintop experiences. And that's what we do with the prophets sometimes. We talk about Moses when he's standing there and saying, "God," or and, and saying, "Pharaoh, let my people go." Okay. We talk about Elijah when he's calling down fire from heaven. We talk about Jeremiah when he's standing before the emissaries of kings. We talk about the prophets when they look very prophetic. But what happens when they come down off that mountaintop? Sometimes they can look remarkably or ordinary, can't they? And that, thats what fascinates me about Elijah is that we see him on the mountaintop, and we also see him in the valley. We see so much of Elijah in the valley, and here's the reason why. Because that's where his mission is. That's where his calling is. When I preached on the first half of 1 Kings 19, I looked at the things that drove Elijah from the valley to seek his God on that mountaintop. And, And we all do this we all have these moments in our lives when when it just feels like we've been walking in the same valley for too long. We all have these moments in our lives where God is good and beautiful and just seems distant. It's not like I intended to walk away. It's not like I intended to take a break. Maybe I just got busy. And I wake up one day and realize I just don't feel that presence. We all have that experience. And the truth is that for many of us, we live our life in that valley far more than we live our life on that mountaintop. Yes, That's just the reality. What I want to look at today, my friends, is what happens to Elijah once he gets up on that mountain. He walks through the valley. He, He gets to a point where he says, God, I am so tired, I cannot take another step. He gets to a point where he says, God, I've tried to be faithful and I'm done with it. He gets to a point where he says, God, just let me die. I'm done with this mission. He finds the strength to keep going. He finally gets up to that mountain top where he's, he's standing there in the presence of his God. His, his God, he finally gets a chance to get some answers as to why it is that last valley was so long, as to why it is that last valley was so hard. He stands before God and what God says is so surprising to me. Did you see it? God does not give him any answers. God gives him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Imagine trudging through the same valley so long. You're tired. You're exhausted. You feel like you're the only one who's being faithful. You finally come before God, and you just want one answer. And He gives you a question. <laughs> I mean, seriously, imagine, imagine coming into church today. How many of us, like, we get tired during the week? We get stressed during the week, okay? And then we come in here for Sunday and we just want that mountaintop experience. We just want to encounter our God. How many of us do that? We just want just just a, just a whisper, just the words, get us through that next week. Imagine coming in here and we're thirsty for our God, we're longing for our God. <coughs> and, and and the praise team starts singing, okay, and, and everyone stands up and raises your hands, and all you do is you just bow your head and you just say a little prayer, just God let your presence be with me, and all you hear is a question. What are you doing here? And here's the thing: when we hear that question in modern American society. That can sound a little offensive, right? Because sometimes when someone says, what are you doing here? There is an implication, isn't there? Usually they are challenging your presence in that space, right? What are you doing here? There's an implication. Shouldn't you be somewhere else? (laughs) Anyone, Anyone have someone ask you that, right? What are you doing here? Well, there's an implication. You should not be here. You need to have an explanation to be here, right? And what we have to understand is when we're looking at this question in Hebrew for Elijah, it's it's not challenging, why didn't Elijah come up to the mountaintop? It's not saying, Elijah, you belong somewhere else. No, it's asking, for what did you come? What brought you up here to seek me in this moment? What brought you here? Think about that. Here's another curious thing I find Has anyone ever wondered why God asks questions in the Bible? I mean, seriously. Like, we we tend to assume in Christian theology that God generally knows the answer, right? We tend to assume, right, in most cases. Okay, then why would God ask the question? It's not because he doesn't know something, right? Yeah, it's not because he doesn't understand something, right? So why would God ask the question in the Bible? You read my notes, didn't you? It's, it's, too, it's too late. I'm already off my <laughs> It's too late. Okay? Why? Why would God ask the question? Here's the thing. Questions have this remarkable power to direct our focus. Questions have a power to help us realize things that are there. We just do not acknowledge in the present. Right? Has anyone ever asked you a question and, like, there is a right answer? You, you just don't really know it? Like how did you feel when so-and-so said this? And you're like, well, I mean, I felt a lot of things. I, I, I never really thought about it, right? But then we hear that question, and it now directs our focus to something that is a part of us. We just did not realize it was a part of us, right? Why did you respond in this way? Well, there's a reason why I respond. There may have been a reason why I was a little harsh with that person, but I just hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't focused on it. I hadn't acknowledged it. Questions have that power. And so sometimes when I see God asking a question in the Bible, I, I want to consider what is God trying to direct our attention to? What does God want us to focus on? Because there are many parts of my life that, that are there. They exist. I just don't acknowledge them. Does anyone here believe that God can see things in us that we don't see in ourselves? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that can cut both ways, right? That can be good. That can be negative, Right? Why did you not take that opportunity? What do you mean? You had an opportunity, you didn't take it. Why? I don't know. And then I start looking and I, wait, I've got this fear in there. It's been, why do I have this fear there? It's been holding me back. And I, I start thinking through and I realize, I've had this fear for a long time. In fact, I've been carrying this fear around for so long, I didn't even realize It, it feels normal. What held me back in that moment? I guess I have this discouragement. This discouragement's been a part of me, but I've been carrying it for so long. I didn't even realize it was there. It just feels normal. And when God asks that question of us, it can help me acknowledge. Wait, I've been carrying around this baggage for a year. I've been carrying around this baggage for two years. I've been carrying around this baggage for ten years. It's been holding me back this entire time. I just didn't realize it because it felt so normal. If It just feels like it's always been there. Or how about when God sees something positive in us that we don't see in ourselves, right? Anyone ever go through a life experience and you think, I cannot make it through this? Yeah, but God sees you've got the strength to carry out the mission, right? Exactly. And sometimes God can ask a question of you that opens your eyes to the fact that you do have what it takes to make it through this call. The fact that God sees something in you that we might not see in ourselves. And so when I see God asking questions in the scriptures, that's one of the things I ask. What is God trying to get me to focus on? What is there that exists that's a part of me that God wants me to see that I don't see in myself yet? So here's the question. What did you come here for? What brought you here today? Did we come out of routine? Did we come to be seen? Did we come for our friends? For the fellowship? Do we come because we've been carrying the same burden for one, two, five, ten years? And we need to set that, hand that off to God. What brought you here? Because here's the thing: is if we're gonna fulfill the mission that God has for us, we have to, God's gonna have to show us some things about ourselves, right? Yeah. <coughs> If we're going to fulfill God's calling on our lives, God is going to have to teach us a few things about ourselves, isn't he? He's going to have to teach us that we are capable of fulfilling that calling when we don't believe we are. And he may have to teach us there's a few things that we've been carrying around that we've got to set down if we're going to walk this path and be on mission with God. Turn and tell someone we're on mission. Turn and tell someone else we're on, we're on mission. And here's the thing. God... Ask this question of Elijah. What are you here for? What brought you here? And you know what we find out about Elijah? Did you guys see that in the text? Elijah was remarkably discouraged. Here's what Elijah says. verse... I have Been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they have torn down your altars, they have killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and now they're seeking my life too. Elijah comes up to the presence of God. God says, What brought you here? And here's what we've learned: is that Elijah had been carrying around a lot of discouragement. Elijah felt really alone. And let me tell you guys something. There are a few things that can be more detrimental than discouragement that we do not see in our own lives. It's one thing to carry around discouragement. It's another thing to be discouraged and not realize it. I I had a pastor tell me one time, he he said, the most uh, dangerous trick that can play on you is make you think he's not there. Mm -hmm. Anyone hear that? Yeah. Yeah. The most dangerous lie is one that you don't realize is there. Because you don't acknowledge it. And we carry through our lives And that lie can direct our lives That lie can influence our lives We don't even realize it God is calling forth something from Elijah That was a part of who he was It was a burden he was carrying It was discouragement But it wasn't even true You know, you read elsewhere in the text We find out there were plenty of people Who were still faithful to God in this time But Elijah didn't see them He still felt alone in his calling I mean, have have we ever been in a place Where we feel like we're the only ones That are fulfilling the calling? I mean, have you ever been in a place where we feel like we're the only ones that's taking this seriously? Yeah. yeah we look around. It do- doesn't matter. You know, you go to church and there's like gossip in the back. But, and and how 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 much time do we spend in that environment before we start thinking that we're the only ones that are on mission with God? And here's the thing: if you want to fulfill God's mission for us, there aren't very many lone rangers in the Bible. It's true. Turn and tell us we're on mission. <laughs> The next thing that God says to Elijah also strikes me. It's not just that God's asking a question of Elijah to show something to him that's a part of him that had been holding him back. But the very next thing that God says to Elijah is, Go back on your road. Did y'all see that? Here's, here's the thing in Hebrew, literally, get back on your path. The idea that there is a path that Elijah has, there is a path that Elijah has been, has been traveling on, there is a mission to which Elijah is called. And God says, it's time for you to get back on it. Here's the thing. Sometimes when we come up on that mountaintop experience, when we come up there to encounter the presence of our God, (coughs) we may want to stay. But that's not always the place for us to lay our heads. Because the truth is that life is not lived on the mountaintop. Life is lived in the valley. And that's where our mission is. And sometimes God calls us up to that mountaintop to show us something. To teach us something. To equip us so that we go back into the valley to carry out his mission. And that's exactly what God does. God opens Elijah's eyes to something. There was a part of who he is that he didn't even realize. And then says, now, back on your path. Because you've got work to do. You've got kings to anoint. You, you've got kingdoms to direct. And, did you catch this? You have another prophet to anoint. Did y'all see that? He tell, God tells Elijah, you need to go anoint the next prophet who's going to carry this mantle after you, Elijah. And that's one thing we have to realize if we're going to be on mission with God, is that the mission is bigger than us. We have to understand that the mission is bigger than me. The mission is bigger than my efforts. When God calls us onto a mission, we have to understand that God has called people to come before us, to lay the groundwork. God calls us for our time, but the work will be carried on by someone else. God's mission is bigger than us. And that's why I asked the question at the beginning, how would it look different if we started asking, what what is God's mission for us, one fellowship in 2019? What is God's mission for us as a group? Because the mission is always bigger than any one of us as individuals. When I read this passage, it, 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 it almost goes against all the things that I would assume a prophet is. I assume a prophet's going to be confident in his call. And it doesn't look like Elijah's very confident. I would assume that a prophet is is going to come before God, you know, learn some lesson. I wouldn't assume a prophet's going to come before God and complain. In this moment, Elijah just doesn't look very prophetic. And you know what strikes me? is God says, you still have a mission. Because here's the thing. God, God works through flawed human hands. Sometimes I start thinking... Wait, well, God, God's not going to work for me because I, I carry all these flaws with me. God's not going to work for me because I have all these burdens that I carry. God's not going to work for me because I'm like driving a boat with the anchor down sometimes. But we look at every one of these prophets and we realize they were here just like us. How many of you guys know God is bigger than our shortcomings? God is bigger than our complaints. God is bigger, okay, than our failures. And just because we carry those around doesn't mean... That God's going to stop the mission. God will still work through us the same. We come up, God opens up our eyes to the fact, you know what, we're carrying baggage, and God says, all right, you still got a mission to fulfill. You still have a purpose in this world. Even if you don't see it. There's this famous old rabbinic story about Rabbi Al Shem Tov. His name was Israel Ben Eliezer, he's a famous rabbi. And he he used to travel around Eastern Europe to uh, impoverish Jewish communities. And, you know, in Eastern Europe during the time, the Jewish communities were heavily persecuted. They were not allowed to um, engage in a lot of commerce. They were very poor, oftentimes starving. So he would travel through the communities to try and encourage them. And one day he comes into an inn. Okay? And he walks into this inn, and there's a young boy behind the counter. And he goes up to the young boy and he says, hello, is your father here? And the young boy says, well, yes, my father's in prayer. He said, but if if you'd like to wait, I can get you some food. And uh, when my father's done, he'll come out and greet you. And Rabbi Baal Shem Tov said, okay, that'll be nice. So he sits down, he eats, he finishes, he waits, he waits, he waits, he waits. And he keeps waiting. And after like three hours, he's still waiting for this guy who's in prayer. And the rabbi starts thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy must be very, he must be very devout. Suddenly, the owner of the inn comes out, and he's apologizing profusely, saying, I'm so sorry, rabbi, I'm so sorry. I- I- I'm sorry to keep you waiting, and the rabbi said, oh, well, I mean, not going to interrupt prayer. You know, prayer is a good thing. And the man says, it's actually kind of embarrassing to see. I'm not very good at praying. See, he, he had the prayer book, the Siddur, the-, the Jewish prayer book, but he wasn't very good at reading Hebrew. And he was kind of embarrassing, because he was Jewish. He-, he was supposed to read it. And so he, he didn't know which prayers we were supposed to pray when. You know, and so he said, so I just, I just prayed the entire book every day. <laughs> Keep in mind, like, if you ever flip through one of these books, okay, there's, there's like, these are the prayers for Passover, these are the prayers for Yom Kippur, these are the prayers that you only say once a year. He did it every day. And the rabbi's like, oh my goodness, like, that's devoutness. But uh, the rabbi, of course, he's a rabbi, so he says, I can help. All right, and so he sits down with the man, and he starts tra- uh, telling the man, "Here's how you use this prayer book. Here's when you use these prayers. You say this prayer when you wake up. You say this prayer when you go to sleep. You say this prayer only once a year, once. Okay? And he's writing on little strips of paper in Yiddish, so that the man can understand. He's putting him in the book. Okay? And the man is so excited. He finally learned how to pray the right way. So he closes the book. He puts it up on the bookshelf. And uh, he he says his uh, farewells to the rabbi. The rabbi goes on down the road to teach the next family he finds. And as the man is cleaning up, he's sweeping, and he bumps the bookshelf. And that book falls over, and all those notes fall out. And the man's just devastated. He says, no, I, I will not accept this. I have been an embarrassment for my entire life. I have not known how to pray. I just have a rabbi who teaches me. And now this happens, he says, no, he, he grabs the book, he grabs the notes, he says, I'm going to ask this rabbi to teach me once again. He puts it in his bag, he runs out to the road, he says, I, I think the rabbi went that way. And he takes off as fast as he can after the rabbi. And after hours, he, he comes up over a hill, and he sees uh, down in the valley, the rabbi coming up to a stream. And he thinks, oh, thank God, I, I finally caught him. Okay, and he looks, and the river's flowing, you know, and... Uh, There's no way to cross the river. And so he thinks, okay, the rabbi is going to have to wait. I'm going to catch up to him. And then to his amazement, he looks at the rabbi, reaches into his back pocket, pulls out a handkerchief, puts it on the floor, okay, or on the water, and steps on the water, and glides across the river. (laughs) and the innkeeper is just dumbfounded. On the one hand, he's disappointed, because he's like, now how am I going to get to this rabbi? On the other hand, he's like, this is a miracle. This is like Joshua uh, crossing the Jordan, or like Moses crossing the, sea, uh, the Red Sea, okay? This must be a really holy rabbi. And he's like, I have to get catch up to this guy. And so he runs down the valley. He runs uh, up to the river. He, he looks this way. He looks that way. He doesn't see any way to cross. But then he realizes, I have a handkerchief, too. <laughs> And so he gets out his handkerchief And he puts it on the water He kind of looks at it and he steps And lo and behold He glides across the river as well And so he gets to the other side He picks up his handkerchief It's a little wet But he puts it in his pocket And he takes off running into the forest To catch up to the rabbi And he's shouting He's saying Rabbi, rabbi, please stop Rabbi, I need you to teach me to pray Rabbi, I'm so And the rabbi's walking through the forest Like, who the heck is calling me? and and he sees the innkeeper coming up the innkeeper comes up to him all out of breath and the innkeeper says, Rabbi I'm so sorry, I knocked the book over just please teach me how to pray I just need to learn how to pray the right way, that's all I need Okay? he said, I've gone through enough of my life not doing it the right way and the rabbi stops and says, wait how did you get across that river? and the man said, well I I saw what you did with the handkerchief and so I, I did the same thing and Lo and behold, a miracle happened. I got across the river and the rabbi took the book, closed it, handed it back to him and said, you should keep praying just the way you are. God is perfectly pleased with you. Here's the thing. Sometimes God sees things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. Okay? And sometimes God has to open our eyes to that if we are going to be on mission in this world. God sees the good, God sees the bad, and He loves us through it all. Okay, and he will ask us questions he will open our eyes to it and every single one is designed to equip us on this mission when we come up onto the mountaintop it's not because we're supposed to stay there it's because God is going to teach us something to equip us for when we go back into the next valley and how many of us are walking into a valley tomorrow? how many of us are walking into a valley this week? how many of us live life in the valley? because the truth is there is so much need in those valleys isn't there and sometimes it can be discouraging when, when we're walking through the valley and all we see is need sometimes it can be discouraging okay when, when we pour our lives into other people and, and it seems like it never seems to be quite enough where are our teachers at we need to pray a special prayer for anointing over our teachers right because our teachers pour their entire lives into children and they don't always get to see the return for that do they how about our first responders Police officers, firefighters, paramedics. They're there to protect our lives. But you know what? Their entire job, they're seeing life being threatened. That looks dark in the valley. We need those mountaintop experiences to help us get through the valley. Because it changes our perspective. It shapes us. It shapes the way we view our work in the valley. And the truth is that when we come up to that mountaintop, sometimes God's going to teach us and he's going to say, All right, you're ready. You have what you need. There's your path. You're on mission. Turn and tell someone we're on mission. mission. Turn and tell someone else "We're we're on mission. So here's my question for you today. What question is God asking you? What question is God asking you? What does God want to show you in your life? Here in this place, in these walls, where we come to encounter our God, that you need for when you go out there on mission. Doors of the church room. Amen. Hi, my name is Nicholas Wurse. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at UMC. And you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all the latest events in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.